fuck this. I'm calling this off. Having a guess is a mistake. Having two people to gain say me when I'm fucking right? <laughs> this is garbage. I fucking hate this. <laughs> everyone and welcome to the dan brown code this is lena this is forrest and we have a first today a first time podcast event we have a guest this evening it's a frequent podcast mentionee uh our twitter friend at chris is poopin also our real life friend (laughs) hello hi chris i'd like to just make a note since no one can see me uh other than you two that i'm wearing this shirt can confirm it's true i can see it on my screen it's beautiful to behold neither lena and i love the podcast enough to be wearing it right now (laughs) i have it i'm at my parents house for shame all right so um chris so let me know like did you catch up and just like start from the beginning or did you just dive in where we left off i wish i had just dived in from where you left off because that would have saved me some time I honestly could have just skipped pretty much everything that I read. <laughs> you could have. <laughs> Nothing happened. Lena very inconsiderately um, didn't upload the episode I sent her roughly half an hour ago, which would have you would have been able to listen to um, to get caught up without having to read. On like three times speed, though, like real quick. <laughs> I'm not going to blame you from for trying to go from a six-month publishing window to a like one-day turnaround time. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, Forrest, you didn't have to finish editing by today. I did for my own sanity. I, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with the, uh, you know, I, I couldn't face the prospect of having two unedited episodes staring me in the face that I would then be intimidated by and not able to get started on. That's fair. Well, I did read from the beginning. I wish I hadn't, but I did. I had some notes from before. We're starting at chapter thirty-two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, thirty thirty-three. Whatever. I have some notes from before then, but yeah. Um, tell. Then, I mean, tell us. Do you have a do you do you have a do you have a previous relationship with Dan Brown? Um, I did read the Da Vinci Code around when it came out because it was a really big phenomenon, and I also watched that terrible movie. And my parents were super into it, and I thought it was all trash. You did, and I was right. I've been vindicated by history. So, how old were you when you read the Da Vinci Code? I don't know. I must have been like right after it came out, but I think it was because my mom had bought it and read it. And it's, they're really easy to read. Like you could pretty much read one of these books in an afternoon. Not this one. That's true. Except for Lost Symbol, which would take an afternoon and a half. I don't think it's longer than the others. I think it's just more of a slog. Yeah, it's longer spiritually. (laughs) Um, And then what what are your thoughts of, of the novel leading up to where we're about to start here? Yeah, I'd really like to get your first impressions of this book. Okay. My my big impressions, I didn't write much for the start because I knew you had already gone through a lot of the quirky things. My big impression was that Dan Brown, as an author, is a master of foreshadowing. <laughs> and it begins on like the first page of the book where he uses the phrase gray-eyed master. And you touch on this in the first step. Uh, And then he pays off that foreshadowing where you're like, why do I care that this guy has gray eyes? He pays that off two pages later in the first chapter. That's his first contract. (laughs) By showing you that the gray-eyed master is Peter Solomon. 
And then the other thing that I thought this entire time was that Dan Brown has cribbed from things that don't exist yet when he wrote this book. But this novel is just Assassin's Creed, the novel. Um, it literally is the exact same idea. Like, I, I really don't believe Dan Brown stole from a game that stole from everything, but... I don't... I don't think he's ever played a video game. Uh, there's no way, uh, but his wife might have. I mean, this book this book postdates the first Assassin's Creed game. The first one. It also postdates National Treasure. There are several <laughs> points in this book where it just mirrors National Treasure straight up. <laughs> that is a much more prescient comparison. <laughs> um, one last bit of business before we get into chapter thirty-three here. Do either of you guys watch Succession on HBO? No, but I keep meaning. I watched the first episode, but I don't care for rich white people. I'm going to have to go. <laughs> That's fair. But the reason I ask is because um, is because the upcoming <laughs> the upcoming Dan Brown TV program has cast it's Robert Langdon and it is um, I think his name's Alexa, but he's a guy who plays Shiv's like campaign staff ex-boyfriend/current fuck buddy sort of thing in succession and honestly i don't see him as a robert langdon type he's he's not unlike um what's his nuts from veep the the smarmy guy uh yeah mm-hmm. he's kind of like the him guy. it's kind of like him what's his what's his what's the actor's name uh it's... i read about this aren't they calling this show like langdon or something i think so his name is ashley zuckerman stop they're not they're gonna. They're calling it Langdon. I think that's the pilot. They're, call, they're calling the, it Langdon. The title. The they're call, they're title. calling it Langdon. Uh, I sent. Which is not good. We don't like that. Oh, when you said the smarmy guy, I didn't think it was this smarmy guy. Oh, there she is. Yeah. Ashley. Yeah. Oh, this is all no, wrong. Wrong. No, I don't like. And then that. Also... it doesn't look like Robert Langdon at all. Bobby Langdon. And if you go to proof. if you go to the if you go to the Langdon page, uh, there's two other actors cast who must have put it in there themselves because there's no way they would announce these roles early i was gonna say he looks like a like a drugstore brand's hugh laurie i can see that yes he's australian too i bet he can't play what? steel guitar though that <laughs> fuck <laughs> but well, more importantly i won't be watching it more importantly for my interests um the guy who's playing nunez the capitol police officer is rick gonzalez who you may certainly know from cw's hit program arrow where he plays mad dog is nunez they've cast a nunez imdb says they have and i have to assume that like i have to assume that the actors put it into imdb themselves there's no way that um whatever studio showtime would have just been like yeah here's who's playing langdon and also nunez and nobody else why would they call it langdon why not call it why not call it symbols or something like I have no words because <laughs> nothing, nothing about nothing about this is allowed to bring us joy. With that being did said, they, did they cast Giancarlo Esposito as Bellamy? Because that's the only choice. Uh, if so, it hasn't been announced yet. But I would okay. like to see that. <laughs> In chapter thirty-three, we're back with our friend Mark Zubianis, who you may recall as the misogynistic hacker. So mm. he's he's been trying to hack into this. Um, document and find out where it originated from last time 
and he gets a ring on the phone at first he's like god this dumb bitch who gave me this job and is paying me like four thousand dollars to do this i told you i'd call you when i'm fucking done did i miss where they were where she paid him i thought it was just a favor that he was doing because she was his former love interest because she's because she's curvy which dan brown will continue to mention (laughs) we get we also get plump oh that's right I'm fairly sure that Catherine mentioned that they'd pay she him. Did. She said double your your double the normal rate. Oh, okay. You'll find that I I just don't read parts of this book, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's, it's the CIA, and they're like, "Why the fuck are you hacking into our shit?" And then we cut. Okay, I, I'm sure he's done this before, but this is the first time I've like made a separate note of it. Like Dan Brown has no problem with making a chapter one page long. But like here, he has a solid page with Mark Zubianis, and then he cuts to another scene, but the chapter does not change. And it's like, what the fuck, man? I don't know how he chooses the chapter lengths, because this chapter is two pages long. I don't know why not just make it two separate short pa- t- short chapters. Like This was my other major Dan Brown impression, was that he took the, what's the five paragraph writing style? That the Jane Schaefer model. Thank you. <laughs> he took that and he was like, no, following a... <laughs> following a model is for rubes and so instead no paragraphs every sentence is a paragraph every <laughs> chapter is one single idea at most except for this one that's the buzzfeed house style i mean it's it makes no sense speaking seriously it's because he's not writing a book he's writing a movie right like that's a good point it's because he's just he's writing dialogue and then he's switching between scenes so it doesn't get dull although i have news for you like <laughs> gonna say the thing is the movies suck no 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 i'm not saying he's writing the (laughs) film adaptation for the books that he's written i'm saying he only knows how to write plots that are movies yeah in the mind of dan brown this is this reads like a like a a thriller yeah this is this is an action film yeah yeah also we have a very short timeline in which things happen and usually we have 24 hours or did we have 12 hours for one of them? I think them? so. But this one is like, you have three hours to get it all done. This so is like, like the, the time of a football game, I assume. The, I assume that's why this football game is mentioned, is that it's to let us know how long this book is going to take. <laughs> that it's literally only there as a framing device, so Dan Brown can remember, like, oh shit, this has to happen faster. Football games don't go until midnight, right? Kickoff's at 7 o'clock. That, like, three, three-ish three hours, though, is the reason. Yeah, but kickoff was at 7 o'clock. Oh, it goes till... Spoilers. <laughs> no, the, the kickoff... I don't know how... I haven't read the... Maybe it goes to overtime. <laughs> I literally would... I have not read the rest of this. I would not be surprised. <laughs> I had that thought today, and then my... I, I, I got rid of that thought, because I just assumed that... It's some running idea he's had to have it, have you remember that this is all happening in Kingdom's time frame. But I don't think I think the game's going to end before the book does. But I haven't read ahead much for much further than where we are right now. Um, but we're we're back with Nunez, um, and we're meet, we're going to meet a new kind of main character here, who is an elderly African American man, and Dan Brown's going to remind us. About a million times in the first couple pages here, this guy is black. In fact, it's African the start American. of the next chapter, I believe, are the words, the African American. Yep, it's not the next one, but it's in there. <laughs> it's in there, and the chapter before it ends on his description as an African American. Exactly. 
Exactly so. Dan Brown will not let you forget races are in this book. Uh, he was an immac- he was immaculately dressed in a blue suit and had close cropped graying hair. Um, Warren Bellamy, architect of the Capitol, stepped across the threshold and thanked Nunez with a polite nod. Bellamy was lithe and slender, with an erect posture and piercing gaze that exuded the confidence of a man in full control of his surroundings. <laughs> It's Giancarlo Esposito. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's exactly him. I think you're correct. <laughs> okay, but here's my counteroffer is that he's in the descriptions to follow. He will sound more and more like the key maker from the Matrix sequel. I, I do want to say <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> and that the, the description that follows is still Giancarlo Esposito. But playing the role Honestly, of the key maker from the Matrix sequel. Okay, I'll take He literally that. has a ring of keys. He seems to be bothered, but also know exactly where he's going. Uh, and he opens and closes doors, and that's his major function. I have a question for the group. Okay. Northeastern Ivy League graduate. Can we please name... Yeah, as opposed to the Southern Ivy League? <laughs> Southwestern Ivy League graduates, perhaps? <laughs> I, I suspect it means that he is from the Northeast and also into the Ivy League. Because, like, you can be from California and go to Harvard. Not if you're in you the Dan from... Brown universe, I don't think. That's no fair. one is from outside of, like, four states. <laughs> That's true. No one in a Dan Brown book who's an American has ever been born outside of the Acela Corridor. <laughs> um, so he's he's here, and he's in command, and he's looking for answers. Um, they want to know where Chief Anderson is, and he happens to be in the basement basement. What does SVB stand for? <laughs> okay, I wanted to get to this too, because basement basement is the closest I could get to. S because Anderson specifically says S stands for sub, which is not true, by the way. S is it's an abbreviation. It it doesn't exactly equate, but if S stands for sub, one of the B's is for basement. What the is the other one? And I think it's also basement. for basement. It's sub basement basement. It's for Super Bash Brothers. <laughs> also it could be sub but basement and the b just means nothing but i think that's stupider than sub basement basement so. yeah i mean i assume that the actual capitol building has sbb as its sub basement and i assume that the sb is just uh, i don't know I, I guess because if there's a, i thought it was... i think it's because if there's already in i think my real life thought on this is if you already have an SB for Senate basement, you obviously can't have SB for sub-basement if it applies to both sides of it. So you have to go sub and then just have an extra B as that last B of sub for your numbering system. Right? Too many subs. Like, it sucks, but... I'm going to call it sub-basement basement. I like that. So yeah, now we're, so he wants to figure out what's going on, and then we move to chapter 34, where we're back at the SMSC... Yes, it's important to note that Bellamy has a gold ring on his finger. Oh, that's true, he does. But in chapter 34, we're back at the Smithsonian Museum Support Center, um, where Trish is meeting Dr. Abaddon as he comes onto the premises. My first problem here immediately, the guest waiting here looked nothing like the usual bookish flannel-clad doctors who entered this building, those of anthropology, oceanography, geology, and other scientific field. And I feel like every single PhD I've ever met especially from like science fields is a woman who wears like whimsical t-shirts and has green hair. Um, well, what this is 2009. Did we have whimsical t-shirts? In we, we did. We for sure did. Yeah. I was wearing them. 
I would like to focus on the fact that this man's name is Dr. Abaddon. Yeah, we talked about this in the last episode. I, I'm sure you talked about this, so I won't touch on it more than like Dr. Acula <laughs> is what I call him in my head canon. And that he announces himself with like, he looks very rugged. His makeup is applied poorly. And it's very clear he's here to do bad things. But then Catherine is just like, oh, okay. I really, I know, Forrest, you said that when you're covering up tattoos, like, there's only so much you can do. But, like, I've seen Angelina Jolie in films, and her tattoos are gone. Yeah, but, I mean, there's, I think there's, I think there's supplemental digital assistance. And I feel (laughs) that with all the money and time in the world, like, Malach has, he could have figured it out. Also, Malach has a deep appreciation for his physical form. And you would think he would not wish to, like, look like a piece of shit. <laughs> Thank you. A vain man would do I better. He's he a perfect a specimen. And he... <laughs> the best explanation to me is that he's doing it intentionally so that he can play it off. So he can be like, oh, you know, I have this condition. But even then, that's very flimsy to me. I also want to add... <laughs> I always had like a little chuckle when I read the name Malach, but I didn't know why and I figured out it's because it Does it means... mean bad guy in Arabic because I'm going <laughs> no, to kill someone? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It means money brother. Fuck yeah. <laughs> That's way better. <laughs> that whips ass. Which like... That's, that's my next word explaining. <laughs> no, it does not. His name is Finance Bro. That kicks ass. <laughs> real wolf of wall street <laughs> this is the worst news i love it but malach is not expecting <laughs> malach is not expecting to see trish here he thought it was just Catherine in the office and so he's like what the fuck is this lady doing here and she's like oh he just wanted to be alone with her i bet this is a date and uh <clears throat> whatever 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 relationship trish and Catherine have going on trish seems to be kind of excited by the possibility of Catherine getting some dick. Um, She's a good friend. <laughs> I think her, her, her sapphic desire has sublimated in this. That case. makes sense to me. I definitely think that also would make sense. Oh, so she notices that his face looks like he has a fake tan. And I want to pause mm-hmm. there because a fake tan is not makeup. What is it? A fake tan is a spray product that you apply that changes the pigmentation of your skin. It's a dye. What? That's true. I didn't know that. It doesn't wash off at the end of the day. I did know that. I thought I thought Catherine is the one who says she thought he had pure makeup when he meets her in an earlier chapter. And then Trish is making a separate observation. Yeah, so I'm I'm talking about sorry, did I say Catherine? No no no. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just Trish. think I just to clarify. I think that's why we said makeup. Yeah, Catherine makes an, makes an assessment that is correct in saying that he has makeup on his face. But then Trish turns around and says it looks like he has a fake tan, which is false. That's not well, what's going on. This is why Trish isn't in charge. And Trish being, uh, you know, a nerd, un- unacquainted with social graces and not used to the world of uh, the wealthy people can't tell the difference because she's not she doesn't care about shit like that. Um, why am I... Going to bat for Dan Brown. How Fuck much off. do you think a fake tan costs? <laughs> I don't think it costs much. I just don't think Trisha's had the trained eye to notice the difference between that and makeup. 
Just because you didn't know the difference until a second ago, Forrest. They start kind of making their way through the SMSC. Um, There's a dead... We learn that there's a dead zone. Can someone explain to me... A double wall. What the purpose of this dead zone is? Is this like a moat, but it's just a blank piece between two segments of wall? Yeah, so I mean, the purpose is that they want to protect their valuable museum specimens from sure. pests like rodents and shit. And so their goal to keep them out is to have an inhospitable zone. <clears throat> I don't know if it's full of like pesticides or some shit, just as an inhospitable. Why is it inhospitable? Do they vacuum it out? Because I have news for you. A normal wall is two walls with space in between them. <laughs> You're not wrong. And it's full of rodents. And they're, they, yeah, rodents fucking love normal walls. So why would two walls make less rodents is my question. Also, it, we're going to learn very quickly that this whole dead zone thing does not apply to the entire building. <laughs> yes, that and it never it never matters. It never so matters. Com- it's, this is not one of the useless. little foreshadowing things. That's how it keeps you on your toes. It's just that he learned it and is like, hey, did you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I just googled okay. dead zone and it doesn't seem to be a thing that's anything. commonly known. Abaddon is trying to think on his feet as a way to, for a way to get rid of Trish, and she leads him past uh, a thing that has been foreshadowed wet pod, pod three. Um, and Dr. Abaddon looks in the window like he's like really fucking psyched about this giant squid he sees in there. Correctly, giant squids are fucking awesome. I think this is kind of adorable, frankly. Um, so he's, he's standing there looking through the what I imagine is like a little porthole in the window. He's like, oh, got his eyes up to it. And then uh, five seconds later, he's still staring at it longingly through the window until Trish is like, okay, I guess we can go and see the fucking squid. This whole part sucks. I disagree. This sucks. All the descriptions of this make, except for the squid itself, make no sense. Dan Brown confusingly says there are over 3,000 gallons of liquid ethanol in there and only mentions the squid, which leads you to believe that this is a giant squid tank, which it is not. It is not. I was misled. It is not. This is, this, this, if one were reading this quickly, because they didn't want to be here any longer than they had to be, <laughs> one might assume that saying there is a pod that's called the wet pod that has 3,000 gallons of liquid ethanol in it is like a pod that it is submersed in water. Like the inside is all ethanol. That is not what this is. I never had that impression. That ethanol is distributed over tiny containers is not the correct fixative for most of these specimens. You'd put them in formalin and is not what the squid is in either. I figured that was likely. Don't know about formalin. All I know is that once my mom caught a, not my mom, my aunt caught a small snake and she uh, put it in a jar of ethanol and I still have it. So it works. That's awesome. Don't know what to tell it you. It does work. <laughs> Some of them might be in ethanol. Don't get me wrong. But my confusion was mostly that that's like 400 cubic feet of ethanol. And I don't believe you, Dan Brown. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe like the squid they say is over 40 feet long. And that's true. And there's a lot of other stuff I wrote down that we don't need to bother with. But the Smithsonian talks about these squid facts. And the the way they got this one of their squids was in Operation Calamari, where they they used the Navy to transport this fucking squid from like Spain to the United States. So we also stole this squid from another country. That's right. 
I mean, there's 25 million wet specimens. I bet you can. I bet it's at least 3,000 gallons of. Flying. I don't disbelieve that it's 3,000 gallons. I don't. I think Dan Brown read that formaldehyde is an alcohol, and he was like, ethanol is also an alcohol. Yeah. And yeah, they're both do similar things. And I'm not a super expert in this for non-lab purposes, but like tissue samples that are not going to be tested are preserved in formalin. It keeps them the exact same way they were when the creature or whatever died or the sample was taken. Yeah, I mean, Smithsonian website does say it's alcohol and and formalin, but it also says that the wet pod is pod five, even though the book says it's pod three, and pod five is where uh, Catherine's lab is. But I guess you have to have the lab at the end of the hallway. I just want to say that for whatever reason, my brain decided that these uh, tubs were full of blue liquid. I don't think that's right. (laughs) That would make it way cooler. Another (laughs) thing that's going to come up, and I'll just touch on briefly, is that if this is ethanol, then everyone's description of how this smells is ridiculous. Because (laughs) describing how ethanol smells to a human being is not difficult. Like, it does not smell like Dan Brown is going to tell you it smells in the next few pages, (laughs) which is pungent and burning and, like, nauseating and that's how formaldehyde smells it smells like dead people um ethanol smells like just alcohol it would it would burn your eyes and it but would what definitely... if it was right here and you were being dumped into it <laughs> i can't even imagine why you would say that <laughs> then it would kill you but i mean just his descriptions are like so otherworldly if this is just ethanol is my thing i think i think he didn't want to learn how to spell formal in uh also, is formalin and formaldehyde the same thing? I think formalin is just a specific preparation of formaldehyde. Okay. Uh, we spent a lot of time on this, but Malak, as, as, as she leads him, she types in her pin number into the pod, and he's like, I actually have no interest in giant squids in his head. And that's where I was like, this is the first time I've really, really disliked Malak. That's fucked up, to not care about the giant squid. The Architeuthis, are you fucking joking me? That thing's crazy. It's rough. Wait, I have to Google it. Hold on. What is it? Where is it? What the? Yeah, I mean, what? you just you can just Google giant squid. The species is Architeuthis. It's not to be confused with the colossal squid, which is also a giant squid. But squid. there's only one giant squid that's Architeuthis. The only sad thing is, is that the like greater than forty feet part is true, but that's from like head of squid to the bottom of the tentacle. And a tentacle, yeah. So you think like, oh my god, this is like could wrap its legs around a ship, which would be great but no no but i mean it, it can fuck up a sperm whale that's what i always like they always got razor those... sharp teeth well and it suckers sperm whales got these like sucker scars on them that was like one of the ways that um before we had any like footage or samples of of, of giant squids that we knew they weren't fake is because you see a sperm whale it's like something down there's fucking these guys up welcome to squid chat um <laughs> <laughs> I wrote literally like probably a page of notes <laughs> on this squid shit. So you're you're welcome. It's what I'm saying. You you really do have to read Kraken by China Mieville. Um I am down. I will I will, I will read He that. writes beautifully, but there's a whole cult of the giant squid. Is this a fiction book? It is. Okay. It's like an <laughs> urban it's like an it's like an urban fantasy thing in London and there's cults into the end of the world and giant squids. It's cool. But now we're moving to did someone have something they were gonna say or should we move to chapter thirty five? 
No, we're moving on. <laughs> um, so as you may remember from the end of last episode, we spent like three separate chapters walking downstairs in the Capitol building. We're still doing that. We're still walking downstairs we're in back. the Capitol building. But this is the last set. So Langdon is increasingly more nervous. Uh, there's cramped walls and his um, his lungs are starting to feel tight and his breathing is faster. And I don't know, like... Last time he was in, when he was in the Vatican's Acropolis, by the way, this book keeps telling you, like, hey, remember the other books? I bet you like those. Um, So he thinks back to the Vatican's Necropolis and how cramped and damp and gross it was. Um, But, like, wasn't his claustrophobia cured, Forrest? We talked about this. Yeah, I mean, well, I forget if the book actually states that right, but, like, I've read online that after... Langdon and Sophie have like a some kind of healing moment where like you know his 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 soul is healed of all his maladies by the touch of a woman specifically the descendant of Jesus Christ um Vittoria Vetri didn't do shit for him um <laughs> uh, uh like he never has a claustrophobic episode again and like this isn't a full-on claustrophobic episode panic attack thing but like he's definitely still suffering from this phobia I say more importantly on this page is the line he pictured Peter's little package. Thank you. Thank you. I was about to have to butt in. Thank you. You're the monk. <laughs> I've noted only one thing for chapter 35, and that was the line he pictured Peter's little package, which is a line filled with poignant imagery. It's so much better that his name is Peter, which is also a word for the package. He's so nervous about this little box. I feel like as soon as I had remembered the box, I would have gone to the bathroom and like seen what was in the box. Rather What's than in the just... box? <laughs> What's in the What's box? In the box? Um, he... So we get to the SBB, is that right? And he describes it as Acme storage meets the catacombs of Domitia, which like, whoa. <laughs> What a phrase. Can we just say, too, <laughs> as someone who has not read the books along with you for any of the previous podcasts, but listens to them avidly, listener, there's a diagram <laughs> in this chapter of SBB, and it is just a piece of dog shit. <laughs> like, I think that's an official, what? I think that's like actually put out by the U.S. government. I think that's not a Dan Brown creation. I, but he he has the full diagram a few pages previous. Yep. Yeah. Which which is very interesting. Is it? And then I don't. Well, I mean, if you were the person who likes these books genuinely, <laughs> then yes. But then he like needs to remind you of a room that contains thirteen tiny rooms that are all the same size and shape. My dude, we're looking at a rectangle with little rectangles in it. I'm not about it. We spend like three pages here in the sub basement, just like going through doors and they're like all unlocked and unused, except for thirteen, which is locked. They're also very confused about the the geography of this space. Like navigating these thirteen things, there's are constant questions about where they are and where they're going. Everybody in this book is a huge dumbass. Like a, a hallway with rooms near a side. What? Where? Where would thirteen be? So it's like at the far end. Like, oh, okay. You could read all of them in about two minutes, and just the one that says thirteen. I had a question, and it's a question that I could have googled, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> what does Anuit Septus mean? Oh, I meant to look it up and didn't. Um, it's on. It's. I think it's on the dollar bill. Anuit Coiptus. I assume year of something. God has approved our undertakings. Is that that that's, seems? That's what it says, but I don't. 
Okay, so Coiptus is Enterprise. Anuit. It says taken from the Latin words anuo to nod or to approve. So there's no god necessarily there, but I guess it's abbreviated from like Deus Anuit, Coiptus or something. Yeah. So <laughs> door 13 is locked and the keys won't work. And Sato's such a fucking psychopath. She's like, I'm not going to wait for the fucking key to get down here. Shoot the goddamn lock off, Chief Anderson. And he's like, uh, do I have to? And she's like, you coward motherfucker. And just like jacks his gun. and Bang, bang, bang. Shoots his fucking lock. I mean, Langdon's like, maybe we shouldn't open this door. Because like, we're complying with the demands of a terrorist. And he's not wrong. Like, this is a wild plan. Like, you know, the only thing to do to unravel this is to do exactly what the terrorist wants um that seems reasonable to me he says sorry yeah dan brown says she handled the gun with the confidence of someone who had trained with weapons <laughs> and i just wanted to just wanted to uh, leave that our man has a way with words <laughs> he's such a good writer she's like the head of also uh, this is to be fair to sato she did save us four chapters of them scooby-dooing around <laughs> to find the keys by just doing this. That is true. Because Dan Brown would absolutely find some bullshit to shoehorn in while they're <laughs> waiting for the keys. So they go into this room after the lock's been shot off and it smells funky and they're like, oh, it's so dark in here. And someone shines a flashlight and everyone's like, <gasps> because something is staring back at them. The perfect time for a chapter break. Okay, chapter 36. Same place, <laughs> exactly where we left off. No reason for a chapter break. They find that there's a human skull on a desk, on a rickety wooden desk, and uh, two human leg bones, and an antique hourglass, and a crystal flask, and a candle, and two saucers of pale powder, and a sheet of paper, and a scythe. That's correct. Yep. And so everyone's like, wow, uh, Peter Solomon's into some weird-ass shit. Sato says Solomon keeps more secrets than I imagined, which is all-star dumb line even for this book you are in the sub-basement <laughs> basement of the capitol building and there is a locked room you don't have a key to this guy who is not a united states senator or congressman seems to have access to this room and yeah. he seems to have the key to this room which is why they're having to hunt for it and she knows he's a mason nothing in that room could be more surprising than just the fact that the room exists at all <laughs> He's a 30, 34, 33rd degree Mason. 33. And like a mysterious billionaire with a mysterious yeah. sister who does mysterious science. He's Batman. Like what, anything could have been in that room. <laughs> it's the Batman costume. That's what's in the room. <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't the like secret club at Disney Club 33? Oh, it is. Sure is. I did not interesting. make this connection. <laughs> Interesting, interesting, interesting. <laughs> and following Sato's dumb line, Anderson, of course, has to say, talk about skeletons in the closet, which gagged me with a fucking spoon. Langdon, of course, as with everything about the Masons, he's like, no, this is normal. There's rooms like this all over the fucking place. Calm down, everybody. Yeah, there's a cut. And then and then uh, we go to Warren Bellamy, who's making his way through the regular basement, not the sub one. Um, it says one story above the sub-basement. Oh, which... I understand the geography now. Also, Warren, the end of the chapter is, is Warren Bellamy stopped, placing a firm hand on Nunez's shoulder. Son, I've worked here for 25 years. I think I can find my way. Buddy, 
Nunez brought yeah. you here. You asked him to bring you here. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you would let him... Why would you have him take you to the basement and be like, okay, now now that we're in the place that no one's ever been? I mean, I, I guess, like, they ha- they heard gunshots, and then he's like, um, actually, <laughs> I think I'm good. I don't know. Honestly, though, if he is the guy who plays uh, Mad Dog from Arrow, that guy is kind of a badass. I would want him with me in a gun situation. He doesn't have he doesn't have a superpower, but he does uh, shoot people with guns in the show. Is there also a, there's also a Mad Dog in uh, in uh, Riverdale? Is that correct? Uh, oh, there might be. I think so. He's like a three hundred pound high schooler. They're all like that <laughs> slash like heavyweight boxer. There's only so many names they can have on the CW. Forrest, do you care about spoilers? Because there's something that happened that I cannot shake. I literally never care about spoilers for anything. <laughs> okay, me neither. Um, there's a point at which the children of Riverdale are doing tickle porn. And <laughs> Isn't that a documentary? <laughs> there's a documentary called Tickle I've been wanting to watch for forever. I'm sure it is. But they're, chil- they're, they're children. They can't all be 18. I know they're all seniors, but like... Well, I mean, let's be forget, in the pilot... The what fifteen year old Archie Andrews is fucking his cello teacher. I think the show takes a lot of liberties with yeah. consent. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. Um and I mean she eventually does get her comeuppance and get shot by Betty's dad, I think, but also does Betty does Betty start serial killing at any point? I really want her to start killing people. Start serial killing? No. Because her dad's always like, You're just like me, Betty. Well, there's a moment where it's kind of like, oh, maybe, but then a whole it's a whole thing. <laughs> that, that, that question is the central point of the second to last season. Not the most recent, but the one before that. Uh, the most recent one, there's a there's a section where it's like, is she capable of murder? And then it's... Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But it is the only, it is the central animating plot point of the previous season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, within the first five episodes, like, she's on the edge of boiling a man alive in a hot tub she she did she did try yeah i every time someone is like should i watch riverdale and i, and I tell them it's crazy and they're like well <laughs> i mean i like crazy shows and i'm like i want you to know that a high school girl tries to boil a man alive as me too retribution in the third episode <laughs> <laughs> oh god this is this is why the cw is such a good pro network um uh, Chapter 37, Moloch goes to Blathers Museum from Animal Crossing. (laughs) It's true. There's a beautiful owl who presides over the museum in Animal Crossing. His name is Blathers. Uh, He has a really fun quirk, which is that he hates bugs, even though he, like, breathlessly collects them. And (laughs) it's the cutest thing in the world. I like that. Um, we, so we're looking around, there's salamanders, jellyfish, there's a coelacanth in there, which is pretty sick, because I recently caught one in Animal Crossing. I thought you were going to say real life, and I was really excited. It was really hard. And so Moloch is, like, making sure there's no security cameras in here, which Trisha already told him all the security cameras are in the hallway to, because the pods are, like, hermetically sealed, but he's just double-checking. And so he finally gets to see this giant squid, and he's just, like, not into it. He's sort of pretending to be. Because he's a fuckhead, he then just, like, puts his hand over Trisha's mouth, because right when she's getting bad vibes about him, and she's like, oh, uh, I want to get out of this room really quick. Yeah, that intuition kicks in. Yeah, she has less good feminine intuition than Catherine does, but she trusts it more. Uh, 
but it's not in time because he starts to strangle her and like rips off her key card, leaving a bruise on her neck. And he's like, what's your fucking pin number? And she's like, 0804, 0804, 0804 is my birthday. That's two days before my birthday. She's a Leo. We stand. <laughs> There's terrible infosec in this chapter. She gives him all the camera locations and then her pin is her birthday. What's your sign, Chris? Uh, What? Oh my God, I always forget this. I think When's it's your birthday? It's, it's, oh, nice try. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> listeners. You don't have to it's give the, you the year. It's the first half of January. So I think it's Aquarius, right? That's Capricorn. Sorry, it, I said the first half because my partner's <laughs> birthday is the first half. Mine is the second half. Okay, then Aquarius. That's what I am. That's why Christopher and I are so alike. I can, we can decrypt everyone's birthdays by saying that my birthday is about two weeks before Forrest's, and my partner's birthday is exactly two weeks before mine. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot to say happy birthday to both you motherfuckers. <laughs> Because I'm a bad friend. Will you focus on your own for us? That's okay. I've, I've honestly forgot about my own this year, too. So, you know, all fair, all's fair and uh, birthdays and more. <laughs> uh, and so after he gets the pin number from Trish, uh, he drowns her in the squid tank. Yep. Pretty fucked up behavior, in my opinion. It's a brutal way to go. <laughs> I would not like to drown in, in formalin. We get a pretty good description of it, though, frankly. Um, it's a little gruesome. He's you really know, good at, pressed... at, gore, at gore writing. Like, yeah. You should stick to that, frankly. He's not bad at it. <laughs> He's good at like portraying horror. He does like to remind us that Trish had ample hips. Yeah, <laughs> we dead. do get that. She's a curvy lady. It's very important you know that as she is drowned in a squid tank. This is the part that I don't understand. Is... Why, so, like, she's dead. Why is he going to chuck her in the squid tank? She's already dead. Like, he's not hiding his tracks because, like, you know, you could just hide her behind a shelf or something. Like, why are you going to fuck up that squid by putting a dead body in there with it? It's fucked up. Is the, is the squid not also a dead body? Yeah, but, like, it's it's got its own little environment here. I don't know what putting some lady's fresh corpse in there is going to do to the squid. I think I, I misread how this works. So... Are there many tanks, or is it one huge tank with everything in it? Many tanks, and like jars and shit. Really? This was my confusion, too. There's okay. many tanks. So there's one big squid tank, everything else is like on, in jars and shit on shelves. So, you know, you got you got like a little salamander in a jar, it's like... Here's the really confusing thing. The squid tank, whatever you think about it as a tank, this is not a tank. This is a plexiglass rectangle that stands vertically... And the squid vertically? is displayed. The squid is displayed vertically. Yes. Yeah, so, it's like Luke. It's like Luke Skywalker in the back to tank in Empire Strikes Back. He is flipping this woman upside down into the tank, and then he's like kind of just pushing the rest of her over the top. How does that would would Wait. would not the, the the squid fall to the bottom of the tank, or is it supported by something? It's not supported by anything. Would it, they don't it, have bones. Wouldn't it I crumble? have a picture of the Smithsonian squid tank? No, it's not. It's it's not. I don't think. It, I think. I think that one's on display, isn't it? That's not in the wet pod. I think the display one is in the wet pod. It goes on display, and when it's not on display, it comes back. Mm, she no, falls seen... down and bumps into the squid. I yeah, she's no. not falling down the two feet that a horizontal tank would be. I think it's. I think it's in the horizontal tank. Um, there's some pictures. There's some pictures of of 
horizontal squid tank here, Operation Calamari. Let me I send it to you guys. One, but I think it's in the vertical display one. I'm not gonna. I don't think so. I think it's in the horizontal tank. But look at the horizontal. I think you have the same picture I do. She would. Her head would barely go in there, and he tosses her whole body in, and she sinks to the bottom. Look, it says. Okay. The squid tank looked like a series of glass phone booths had been laid on their sides and fused end to end. Exactly. Hmm. It's horizontal. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I think his dimensions are all fucked up because he's not good at spatial reasoning, because he's not a real man. This is uh, very strange. <laughs> Why does he take so long to describe that Moloch has trouble, like, suplexing her into this thing, then? He's a strong guy. He should... you've, ar- you've, you've already landed on it, Christopher. It's because she's pudgy. He's a fatty McFatfat. Oh, exactly. I see. So yeah. by You're... ample hips, I see. Fuck and you, so as... Brown. <laughs> As he's dumping her in the tank, he flashes back to the only woman he's ever killed before this, which is Isabel Solomon, who's Peter and Catherine's mom in another life. But he doesn't think about it that long. Uh, and then once he puts her in the tank, he's like, Wet Pot has a new specimen, because he's feeling like now's a good time to make a joke about it. If this wasn't a Monk Girl Spring, I would have made a joke, but I'm not going to make the joke, because it's Monk Girl Spring. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad this is getting around the world well chapter 38 actually before we get chapter 38 i think it's time our first <laughs> our first man to avoid today is men who swallow goldfish oh like the fish <laughs> the fish <laughs> correct um so i don't i mean this person's a sociopath so obviously you should avoid them but <laughs> but um <laughs> in high school there was when, you know when the clubs would do their little like fundraiser day where you could like buy Jamba Juice or whatever. So one mm-hmm. of the clubs, I think it was like the the Green Club. Oh, oh, oh fuck. Oh, oh where did everybody go? <laughs> I'm back too. Are you back? Lena? That was weird. Lena's back. I'm back. We okay. had a little hookup. Uh, high back. school club day. High school club day where everyone, uh, all the clubs were selling stuff. And I think one of the clubs was selling, you could win you would like buy a ticket and then you would do like a little game and then you could win a goldfish. It's no good. Those things die in those bags. And listen, I mean, it was a high school and I saw at least three goldfish get swallowed whole that day. It was a bad day. What the fuck? I, I have know. literally never heard of a human being eating a goldfish until right now. <laughs> have you like watched a movie before? It happens in like movies or people never are like once. I'm a Philistine. <laughs> I have never heard of this before. It ha- this, this must happen in like Animal House or some shit. Yeah, this is like a like a weird like masculinity test thing that people do just to like look how twisted I am. And then you like eat a goldfish, which like whole, it's still alive in your stomach. I mean, I would avoid that man to be clear. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, it's like men to avoid a guy with a gun. <laughs> your head, like. I will say that bringing the goldfish to campus did tell me who to avoid. Like it was, a, they That's really fair. revealed themselves. Well, I right. think this next one is going to be more controversial. Okay. Uh, men who use spritz, mousse, and gel. What is spritz? I assume it's like hairspray. I don't think Dan Brown knows about product. <laughs> well, obviously not. Mousse- but I mean, like, look, look at look at his hair. He's doing something to it. Listen, what I will say is that, like, mousse is kind of an outdated hairstyling construct. Like, they're usually... This is the mid-90s. It's the... Yeah. They didn't know any better at the time. I think this has happened before, where 
anyone, any man who takes care of his appearance is apparently to avoid, which is bonkers. What? But like, pull a picture of Dan Brown and tell me this motherfucker's not using something in the hair. That's pomade, Forrest. <laughs> uh, men, men with pet rocks. Men with pet rocks. How does that one grab you? For me, it's a big old hashtag. Who care? I don't. Like, if ironically, it was the central part of it's your a, it's like it's like, a, it's like a brief fad in the '70s or '80s. I don't know why he's writing about it in the mid '90s. I only about it from this VH1. I love the whatever decade it was. I think it's like maybe indicative of a sense of humor that I don't appreciate. So I wouldn't like date that person, but I wouldn't say like, oh, avoid that guy. You know? Yeah, no, it's just it's just it's just silly. Um, next one, we're back to men with manicures. There's that patented Dan Brown homophobia coming Why? again. Why? Yeah, manicures are fine. In the song Boys, Lizzo talks about, uh, you know, she likes the pretty boys with the bow tie, get your nails did, let it air dry. And like, yeah. Something tells me that Dan Brown is not a Lizzo man. If you're a man trying to look hot, Dan Brown thinks you're gay 100 <laughs> yeah um our next one is not dissimilar from one of our last ones uh men who think estrogen is a fuel additive and i just want to before anyone comments here so like everything everything in this book is italicized but the word estrogen is not italicized which is like the way you would write a non-english word so i don't know what the fuck is happening there so like check it uh let me see yeah Oh, he even uses, I haven't seen this book before, but he even uses his patented writing style of only including five to ten words per page. <laughs> well, I mean, it also it also has a little, it has those little whimsical pictures around, <laughs> along the bottom. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very much a novelty book. Uh, it's like the kind of thing you find in like the impulse bin at Barnes & Noble or whatever. But yeah, men who think estrogen is a fuel additive. Well... I don't. Not if you're a sapiosexual, but if like you're into dumb guys, then like sure. Also, like morosexuals unite. Morosexuals <laughs> unite. But like the only fuel additive I'm familiar with is like is octane a fuel additive? What the octane fuck? You know, it looks incredible. Rating. Octane is a rating of gasolines. Like, yeah. One second. Hold up. Let's hold up, Lena. Lena, what are you eating that looks really fucking good? It's so and I good. Want it. It's called the brica. It's like a Tunisian egg roll, except it's a triangle, and it has uh, an egg in the middle that's like still kind of soupy. Can you please pass? <laughs> Once this is over, Wait. I will make brikas for the both of you. Yeah. That is very exciting. We'll bring them. To, we'll bring them to the Renaissance Fair, <laughs> which I'm inviting myself to. To be clear. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And then our last one for the day: men with yo-yos. Okay, so. Is he good at the yo-yo? Uh, it doesn't say. It just says he has a yo-yo. Because if he can do those tricks, you, I mean, I'm into it. I want the, the 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 thing where it it's a triangle and it the Eiffel Tower goes trick. Between. Yeah, whatever yeah. it's called. I was never any good with the yo-yo. I feel like the yo-yo is a fad that comes back fairly frequently. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't had a recent renaissance. In my elementary school, every so often they would bring us like a like a salesman of sorts with like a new fun toy you could buy. And one time it was the yo-yo, and it was it was a bloodbath. I mean, kids were slinging those yo-yos all oh, over yeah, the place. Oh yeah, those are that's dangerous. But I did learn to like walk the dog. Like I, I I could do that, and once you got that, then you can do like the Eiffel Tower trick and everything. Yeah, and I was I was dog shit at all yo-yo tricks, but I wanted to be good at them. 
you know why this is in the book, right? Dan Brown, like, knew a guy in high school who was just ace with a yo-yo and got no, he's getting all laid the left and right. Mr. Steal yeah. Your Girl. And he, was, and he had he had beautiful hair and well manicured <laughs> hands and Dan Brown was just like, I'm gonna fucking kill this motherfucker. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I'm gonna Which brings us to chapter thirty eight where Sato is like, this room is Masonic, and Langdon's like, it's a chamber of reflection. Which he says that they always incorporate the same symbols, skull, crossbones, scythe, hourglass, sulfur, salt, blank paper, candle, and then the cop-out, etc., which is not true. I did some research into rooms of reflection. And, like, um, A, many of them include, like, uh some kind of like representation of the things so like a little picture of a skull or whatever but also there is no like one unified set of objects that makes up the chamber of reflection like most of them are going to have the skull and the scythe but like some of them that are like in most of them like a cockerel a rooster of some kind isn't in this one and like the blank paper i didn't find shit about so like is that a symbol of death they're not all symbols of death. They're, they're, they're alchemical symbols of change and transformation oh. in addition to the death thing. Because well, I was curious about the crystal flask. About which one? He says that there's a crystal flask on the table. And then he was like, oh, these yeah. are all death symbols. And I was like, a flask? Yeah, no, it's it's it, it, like the Hand of Mysteries. It's all like alchemical shit. But the point is that Dan Brown's way out of pocket on this one. Yeah, as usual. Um, So, Sato's like... You don't find it unnerving that masons meditate with skulls and sides? And he's like, well, if some, you know, Christians pray at the feet of a man nailed to a cross. And he says, misunderstanding of culture symbols is a common root of prejudice. And I don't think the masons are cultures, is a culture. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> a culture? That's, yeah, no, you're, that's, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's not a, it's not a culture. It's not, it's not a culture. Sub, subculture. I don't know. There's also a point at which, oh, it's on the next page. We'll, uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. It's fine. Uh, there was the word threesome in here, which I found. Oh, I was going to remark on that, too. So thank you. <laughs> Forrest saved me on the, the package, and you've got me on threesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so we've established these rooms are, like, essentially cubicle size. Mm-hmm. And now the threesome is moving deeper into the narrow space. Stop. Like there's nowhere to go. Don't don't say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is what Dan Brown says. As the threesome moved deeper into the narrow space, the pungent tang of sulfur filled Langdon's nostrils. The subbasement was damp, and the humidity in the air was um, activating the sulfur in the bowl. You know, just a threesome moving deeper into narrow, wet spaces with a with a with a specific odor. It's a monk girl spray. <laughs> I don't know what you're I don't know what you're intimating here, Lena. Later Sato uh talks about how she has a feeling that Americans might have a problem with their leaders praying in closets with sights and skulls. And I was like, dude, people like Ted Cruz go to rooms like this, but to pray for war and death instead of to reflect on. Yeah. I mean like famous famously both George Bushes were like in Yale Skull and Bones Society, which is like at least as fucked up as all this shit. Like I don't think they're quite on the level of uh Davy Cameron uh fucking a pig's mouth, but like Are you not familiar with David Cameron? I am. And the pig? I just haven't thought about yeah. that for a while. 
It's all I ever think about. Um, God. But like, <laughs> uh, but like part of part of part of the skull and bones initiation by all accounts is um, also jacking off onto something. Uh, let's do some. Let's, do, let's really fuck up my Google history oh here. My God. What is going on? Skull and bones initiation. Jack it. <laughs> For searching for the JOI <laughs> Skull and Bones video. <laughs> hmm. Any luck? Uh, I'll, I'll work on it. You guys talk a little okay, bit. Okay. Uh, Don't work on it, though. I don't know where we are anymore. I lo- you lost me, but um, on page 156 of the paper of the hardcover, <laughs> the, um, she, he, he goes through what all the different symbols are he's like the skull is this and the sulfur are like transformation tools and um he's like the scythe is actually not a death symbol it's a symbol of the transformative nourishment of nature the reaping of nature's gifts which like may be true but dan brown does this thing in all these books where he insists that the first thing a symbol ever meant is the only thing it's ever meant like it's still a death symbol. These days, it is a death symbol. Like, the, the most famous reaper is the one... The si- most famous scythe is the one that the Grim Reaper holds. Like, can it... It is. It is. A, it is. It's a death symbol. It is. Also, what do, you think, what do you think villagers fought with when people raided their towns? Like- <laughs> in, in my experience, um, it is uh, pitchforks... I don't think I've gotten any scythes from villagers in Bannerlord. <laughs> they have it's, them. Uh, do they really? Yeah. I haven't seen this. Oh, I've seen a I'm, war scythe, but those I'm are expensive. I'm just imagining in like Dan Brown's universe, those villagers are like, but this is a tool for harvesting, not <laughs> for killing. And then they all yeah. are just, just destroyed. Well, I mean, like also like, I think in symbology, harvest has always been very closely tied in with death, which is how you get the Grim Reaper in the first place is he's harvesting souls. Anyways, more importantly... Uh, world domination aside, the most pervasive rumor about Skull and Bones are that initiates must masturbate in a coven while recounting their sexual exploits, in a and that their can't mm-hmm, correct, and that their candor is ultimately rewarded with a no strings attached gift of fifteen thousand dollars, which like the string is masturbating in the coffin while recounting your sexual exploits. Um, I need you guys to hear this next sentence because it starts with an important thing for what members of Skull and Bones are called. Bonesmen nope. who are sworn to secrecy at initiation have not publicly denied or confirmed these rumors. <laughs> Me and the Bone Boys going out of town. <laughs> what a um, stupid name! Like that. Uh, also, that fifty thousand dollars comes with you know the gateways to um, power in American society. Power and privilege. Um, it does exactly. seem a little. Do they hear you? Like... Do you? Do they hear the recounting while you're? Do, or is this like a private affair? I mean, my assumption is that you, the, some some upper level bonesmen are there. My assumption is that all the other it's bonesmen are there. Open coffin situation, open casket. I have to, I have to, I have to believe that. Otherwise, what's the point? It just—it's a lot of like social pressure to reach the end. You know, it's—I just don't know if they weren't. Oh, I think I could, you I, had to. What? They, they didn't say you had to. You're so right. I, I totally missed that. Just, just edge it in front of the boy. <laughs> but frankly, how could you not? How will they know uh, when it's over? <laughs> Is it when you run out of the list of exploits? I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, my 
god. So also on the wall of the Chamber of Reflections is the word vitriol, mm. which Langdon explains is um well he doesn't fully explain. It is it is also a word for sulfur, which is what's in the sulfur box, but he says it's uh also an acronym for a mantra visita interioria terrae rectificando invenies occultum lapidem which means uh visit the interior of the earth and by rectifying you will find the hidden stone forrest you're one of my dearest friends but i would be remiss not to tell you that your insistence on proper latin pronunciation is your worst quality it's not that proper. I fucked it up. Hard disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a worse quality in mind? Chris? Strongest, strongest possible disagree. <laughs> Let's take it to this, Christopher. What, what would you say is my worst quality? Why would I ever say that on a podcast? But it's definitely not <laughs> <worth> flat. <laughs> I, I, Off the dome, I can think of at least three better ones. What I will say is that. I would consider that a compliment because it's not that bad. <laughs> I got to hear the one that Christopher of my worst qualities and that the one he thinks will hurt my feelings the least. <laughs> Does well, that hurt your feelings? I really didn't mean it to. No, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm an Aquarius. I don't have feelings. Exactly. I know exactly what that means. <laughs> uh, Sato is still stuck on this like, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing things about stones. Does it have to do that fucking pyramid we've been talking about for forever? And like, it's like again. I, how many times can I tell you this? The pyramid's a metaphor and doesn't really exist. I hate one thing. I do hate about his writing style, particularly, <laughs> is that his insistence on making sure his readers, who he hates, Dan Brown hates the reader. No respect. Um, That's correct. So he's making sure Sato exists as an as as a character at some point in this novel but for all of these pages exists only to ask dumb questions and then to get mad that langdon is taking too long she's like the immediate antagonist she's fulfilling the bezu fash role of like person who thinks they're doing the right thing but is ultimately um only impeding the well-meaning actions of robert langdon but i would also say that bezu fash like what's different is that Bezufesh is not the person that Robert Langdon gets to bounce his theories off of. Usually, has like a yeah. young little side piece that he's talking to, and we don't get the side piece until much later in this book. God, it's yeah. <clears throat> but he spends so much time doing this, and it just gets me thinking that like his intention is to talk down to his readers to be like, actually, vitriol doesn't mean that. But in reality, it's Dan Brown being like. You guys have said a million times explaining the things that he or his wife Googled for him <laughs> to himself. Like, and it is so funny when you read it as like a diary to him to be like, well, actually, like Dan Brown lives, he's like the guy in Memento and he's tattooing all of these <laughs> useless pieces of information on his body so that when he wakes up tomorrow, <laughs> he can remember them so that he can talk down to you about them. It's a little analogous right. to Trump being like, people are just now finding out that there's a, a virus. He does have there. a Trumpian streak. He's just much worse at it. <laughs> <laughs> no charisma. So speaking of characters being very stupid, um, at the end of this chapter here, so everyone suddenly like stares at the back wall of this room 
and is like, what the fuck did I just see? A moment earlier, the rear wall seemed to have shimmered as if a ripple of energy had passed through it. Anderson now started, and, and Anderson thought he heard someone outside, so he stepped out for a second and then didn't see anyone, so he came back in. And everyone's like, whoa, what the fuck? It's like, the wall's moving. And they're like, it's not a wall, it's canvas. And so I was like, but it billowed. Which, what a weird fucking thing to say. But it billowed. So there's this, there's this canvas back wall that it takes them forever to be like, it looks like a ripple of energy. It's like, it looks like a fucking curtain blowing in the wind. Um, and behind there's a little cubby. That's it. Which... Right. And chapter it's a, yeah it's a, it's a direct it's a direct segue segue into chapter thirty nine and so there's a little cubby in the wall and inside of it is it's a pyramid it's a pyramid with no top this is, but like I'm sorry this is just national treasure it just is national treasure full stop <laughs> period like yeah he watched the he watched the movie I'm sorry I'm still upset he watched You're the movie good. National Treasure and said. Oh, I wish I had written that. And then instead of just like moving on, he did. He wrote it. <laughs> Except worse. I mean, uh, good artists imitate, great artists steal. I wish he had stolen it. It would have been a better plot. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's 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 a pyramid with no capstone, and so I was like, it's a pyramid. Uh, this is you've been saying this isn't a real pyramid, but like, look here, it's a fucking pyramid. And Langdon, in his head, says the most annoying shit I've ever fucking heard. Moreover, Langdon knew this little pyramid with its flat top was not even a true pyramid. Mm. Without its tip, this was another symbol entirely known as the unfinished pyramid. <laughs> That's not another symbol entirely. That's a modification of the first fucking symbol, dude. And then even more annoyingly, though few realized it, this symbol was the most widely published symbol on Earth. Because it's on the $1 bill. And it's like, everyone knows what's on the fucking dollar bill. It's that weird fucking pyramid with the eye on it. This paragraph reads like when I'm finishing a draft of a paper at like 3 a.m. And I'm just like throwing in words for no reason. Like entirely does not belong here. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yes. writing whatever at this point. <laughs> like... It sucks so bad. Um, and so they talk about it for forever. And, you know, it's got a little engraving on it, some symbols and Sat is like, would you call this? I'm, 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 I'm moving fairly rapidly through, yeah, through go, this go, thing here. Go. Um, and so she's like, can you, you know, there's an ancient language on it, some engravings, and you know, this is clearly, this is clearly the pyramid we're here for. This is what Solomon sent you for. This terrorist is like Langdon knows a secret. Um, and Langdon's still like, oh, I don't fucking know. This can't be right. Which means chapter forty. Uh, it's because he thinks that the the pyramid should be bigger, which we yeah. rag on for quite some time later. Um, yeah. Also, there's some inscriptions, um, right? Yeah, we don't get the picture of them yet. No, but it says, according to legend, the contents of the pyramid are encoded, making them indecipherable, except to the most worthy. And I was like, we need Translator. Like, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> Digifor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're going to get some recycled code material here before long. Yeah. In chapter four, you're back with Catherine, who's like now like, well, it's weird that Trish has taken so long to bring Dr. Abaddon in from the lobby. And so she calls the lobby and she's like, is Trish out there? And the guard's like, nope, they, they headed back to the room like 10 minutes ago. And she learns that they've gone into pod three and then... Catherine once again has her feminine intuition uh, 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 
warn her that something wrong is afoot. And she's like, tamps it down. She's like, no, this already failed me today badly. I'm sure this is nothing. She she noted that um, the smell in the pot is terrible. Mm-hmm. So, they won't be there for long. Yeah. Um, sorry, just to rewind to the wet pot again. I know we spent a long time there. So the tanks are just open? I think most of them have a lid on them. I think he mentions, I think she mentions lifting Opening up the lid. the lid for this. Okay, a thing that I do not believe is that the light switch for the squid tank is inside of the tank itself. So she had to open the lid to turn on the lights, which is clearly just so the tank will be open so you can drown her in it. Um, but like most of, the, most of the specimens I think are in jars probably and have a lid. Mm. Um, so that's a two thirds of a page chapter. Yeah, so and now we're talking 41. To one. <laughs> oh, and we do get. And now we get the picture of what the encoded text on the pyramid looks like. And Sato says, an ancient encoded language, does this qualify? And you know that fucking code where it's the tic-tac-toe boards and like one has a dot in it and then it's two X's and the second one has dots in it and you put letters in them? It's that fucking code, right? Yep. Yep, yep. And, Robert and he- Langdon is going to solve the Zodiac letter. <laughs> That's what I wrote when I saw this stupid, <laughs> stupid diagram. And so Sato goes, I assume you can read this? And he goes, why would you assume that? Like, he's a symbologist. It's covered in <sighs> symbols. Also, how could Sato not read this? Like, I don't care how unfamiliar you are with, like, cryptology or whatever the fuck. Like, everyone has at least heard of this fucking code and, like, sees it as, like, oh, it's that thing. Right? I mean... Like, every activity book you do as a child has this in it. Mm-hmm. Even if you hadn't... It's 16 symbols, and there are repeats, which means it's probably letters. Yeah. <laughs> like... um, but everyone, everyone's baffled. Beside Langdon, Anderson's mouth. We've established Anderson's like a moron, but whatever. Now gaped open, mirrored Langdon's own shock. The security chief looked like he had just seen some kind of alien keypad. <laughs> keypad. Fuck off. <laughs> I love that aliens um, have like advanced technology but are still using keypads i missed this (laughs) langdon had to admit after his previous experiences in rome and paris he'd received a steady flow of requests asking for his help deciphering some of history's great unsolved codes the feistos disc the doorbell cipher i don't know what either of those are but also the mysterious voynich manuscript and the voynich manuscript is this thing that i think most people agree is likely a forgery um, but it's this, it's this undeciphered thing. It has these cool like botanical drawings. It's like a parchment thing, and like every every like one to two years, someone puts forth like a proposed uh, tra- deci- decipherment of the Voynich manuscript, and it's always fucking bullshit. Like anytime someone's like, I've deciphered it, you always be like, okay, you have not. You are you are you are a liar and a charlatan. And every single time, like a month later, it's like, yeah, this guy was a liar and a charlatan. Sorry. Well, interestingly. It's 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 implied here that Dan Brown has not solved any of these three great unsolved codes. So Dan Brown too. Yeah. Is no, a I, or sorry, yeah. Robert Langdon, aka Dan Brown. Yeah, but I I do need to look into the Fiestos disc and the doorbell cipher because I would like to know what those are. And so she's like, please read it. And then and then and then he's like, actually, this is Peter's private property. And I just girl what constitution's coming back y'all. we're in the sub basement basement we shot the lock off a door there's a skull on the table and you're like <laughs> property rights are important property. i'm not i'm not i'm not here to pry <laughs> and like he didn't 
I, I, I know he didn't want to come here, but like, come on, dude. <laughs> but we're in it now. <laughs> like the fucking full force of the CIA is on your ass, and you're like, oh, actually, I'm not gonna do this. This woman has a gun and just shot the door, and he's like, well, now, hold on. <laughs> well, let's slow uh, down, everyone. Yeah, and so remember, remember forever ago when Sato asked for the absolutely recorded to disc x-ray imaging of langdon's bag to be sent to her blackberry um she finally gets it and so she calls out anderson and like has a little side convo and they've seen that inside langdon's bag there is a single item which as we all know about x-rays the densest items are the brightest and there's a very dense um shape that and um do we learn exactly what it is i'm going to tell you it's a fucking little pyramid <laughs> it's a very dense little pyramid in his bag it glowed like a dazzling jewel in a murky jumble of other items he starts to, sometimes he starts his sentences with like a fun image and then it just blah blah blah, blah into like garbage writing okay it's unreadable <laughs> but yeah and it's like this motherfucker's been holding out on us what the fuck and so sato rolls in and is like what the fuck dude this is bullshit and so she's like shows in the picture like you you've been hiding a fucking tiny pyramid it looks like it goes on the top of this big pyramid this whole fucking time what the fuck and langdon ever the idiot about this fucking item is like i don't understand there's no pyramid in my bag and there's nothing that i don't know what's inside of it in my bag i know everything that's in there there's no pyramid in my bag um but then he finally like realizes like oh fuck that little package that was the whole point of me coming here fuck 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 uh so sato says that she's going to take langdon to cia headquarters and interrogate him with like you know probes under his fingernails and shit this is Uh, a very important note that i had is that after she says you'll be explaining at cia headquarters she later says when we arrive at the cia (laughs) and that made me laugh and think of how Buster Bluth in Arrested Development says, I'm going off to army, <laughs> as if that's the place. And this is going to be important, but she took a picture of the, she's like, when we, when we get to the CIA, my analysts are going to have a head start because she sent them, she texted them a picture of the um, pyramid, which in 2009, texting pictures was hard, so... Also, Blackberries had trash cameras, so good luck deciphering that. <laughs> well, that, that comes up pretty soon. And Ling was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening to me. And Sato like, pulls out her gun on him. And then, remember how Anderson went out because he heard a noise in the hallway? Well. Well, hold on. I need to stop you because it is important. So they say, put the stone pyramid in Langdon's bag with the capstone. We're all getting out of here. We're going to the CIA. <laughs> the CIA. Exactly. <laughs> and then chaos ensues. Yeah. Uh, who wants to explain what happens next? Chris, cause... would you like to do the honors? Okay. Do we want to read it or do you want me to just give you kind of... Whatever you're feeling in this moment. Dealer's choice. Okay. Well, I think we'll just go with Bellamy, uh, who is the sneakiest man. Um, um, I don't see the name Bellamy anywhere here. I just see an African-American man. <laughs> oh, well, he's elegant. They do <laughs> mention he's an elegant African-American. They also don't say he's mad. He's The man was tall and slender, an elegant African-American whom Langdon had never mm. seen before in his life. So, so he... this man... <laughs> yes? This man, like, this is rushes so into this tiny room uh, and proceeds to 
knock Anderson on the back of his head and sends him, I think, kind of flying into the back of the room where they had just removed this pyramid. Um, and then he falls hard onto the desk and bones and artifacts are flying everywhere. Sulfur's in the air. I think hourglass is falling on the floor. He hits him in the back and then he, Anderson tumbles forward and hits his head on the yeah stone oh he just hits him in the back Less well cool. he, he runs in, he runs in his shoulder checks him in the back causing oh. anderson to fall forward i'm retconning it to he like he gets him right in the back of the head but then but then <laughs> then then um the elegant african-american man after knocking anderson to the ground sato raises her gun and he grabs a femur from off the table and just like yeah starts she hitting just, her with it he just bats her with a femur and then she's just this woman who we've been space told Odyssey, only like... This woman, mind you, is the most resilient human being ever born. She's survived all possible forms of tragedy. Yeah, but she's like four feet tall. Are, well, are you telling me that a four foot tall man, woman versus a man with a femur? I, yeah, I Have well, you seen the beginning gets, of 2001 A Space Odyssey? A femur is no fucking joke. She just gets taken out by this femur. I also, it's unclear how he gets a hold of the femur, given that the bones are scattered. He sends bones and artifacts flying. And then as, so... Okay, if you're watching this from like a, a, a ghost's perspective, a man is falling into a table and bones are flying. A woman is noticing and pulling a gun. And in the time these bones are in the air, this elegant man grabs one of them and whacks her and she drops the gun. Like Now that's what I call is, a bonesman. This is the super hot of like... <laughs> Of, of book montages like he's doing this all in slow motion and they're having to live in fast motion and it's so yeah and also like if there's one thing that i associate when when i'm seeing a man run into a room shoulder check a guy grab a femur and just like knock out this fucking tiny ass woman i'm like what an elegant man <laughs> so elegant so elegant um so yeah the, the chapter ends with the sent Okay, yeah. An elegant African-American whom Langdon had never seen before in his life. Grab the pyramid, the man commanded. Follow me. Next chapter. The African-American man, leading Langdon through the capital's subterranean maze, was clearly someone of power. Are the words, the African-American, very large on your copy? They're They're bolded. bolded. (laughs) They're bolded. The beginnings of mine are bolded, of all the chapters, but it's still... What copy do you have? Uh, I just have the one that I got off of, like, the internet. Is it a physical copy? No, no, no. It's an ebook. Sorry. Ah, uh, okay. I didn't steal this. I I thought about it, and it would have been very easy. But I purchased this book, and that's why I feel your anguish. Five total yeah. copies of this book on this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lena and I have each bought this book twice. Cumulatively, tens of dollars. <laughs> I've bought it three times because I had a copy when I was younger that I lost somewhere along the way. So I bought it once when I was younger. Then I bought it a physical one for this podcast. Then I bought the ebook because I forgot to bring the physical book to Boston. I need to be clear to the listener and to both of you. I purchased the Dan Brown Masterclass for Forrest. And I've watched this every second book, of it. Buying this book was a worse investment than buying the Dan Brown Masterclass. I was going to so watch an episode before we did this episode, and I um, I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I've never heard his voice, n- nor do I intend to. I've I've sent you the clip of him singing a song, right? I did not watch it. It was a, it was a SoundCloud, but um, or I did not. I've been meaning, I've, I've been meaning to get in touch with that writer. Um, it's like 
I want to say the, the BuzzFeed UK head editor somehow got his hands on a copy of Dan Brown's EP that he recorded. And I've, and I, and this is, this is years ago and I've been unable to source this thing. That's, I spent, that's the EP that has the, the, Oh, what's it called? Not palindrome. The other thing as the cover. Well, he's got oh. he's got two he's got two albums. He's got Angels and Demons is an album, mm-hmm. but the one before that I think might might just be called Dan Brown, and that one has a song about phone sex on it, uh, which no. is the thing that which is the thing that gets, that gets clipped in this article. Um, no, it has it has, a, it has a hilarious title, Do but I've been one. I've been meaning to get in touch with this writer and just to be like, where did you find this? I have been looking for it for. At this point, literally years. I would say every I would say every two months I go like I spend like three to five hours <laughs> scouring the internet for any fucking place to find a copy of this album, and I've ne- have yet to find it. That song "Walk to That Digital Get Down" by InSync could run. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and um, to a lesser extent, "The Call" by the Backstreet Boys, which is not really phone sex; it's about phones. I don't want this. <laughs> Um, to be real, but I know it is. Anyways, so Langdon's following this guy through Capitol. He's got a mason ring on his finger, um, so he trusts him implicitly because Langdon's a psychopath. At this point, well, he's, he's moving on instinct alone. We're all everyone's all instinct all the time in this book. No intellect, exactly. brain smooth, also... brain brain empty. <laughs> Fight flight. He's the maximum rank of masons. He's a prestige mason, level thirty-three. <laughs> Okay, he's 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 done the raids. You should follow him. <laughs> he's unlocked the premium skins. <laughs> um, Elegant and, man is the, the prestige skin for. <laughs> and then they 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 you know they're coming up to the main floor of the Capitol, and uh oh, here's a police officer. It's Nunez. Um, but luckily, Bellamy has. You know his word is law around here, so he just like kind of press gangs him into shepherding them through this hallway under renovation slash construction, and it's like lock the door behind us. You did not fucking see us. Pocket this key. Um, Tell no one that we were here. And like there is a fatal flaw here, which is that there's cameras. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but... And then they're inside the corridor and he's like my name is warren bellamy peter solomon is a dear friend of mine and langdon's like you're warren bellamy but like i find it hard to believe he's never seen a photo of this guy if he knows who he is and like is close friends with peter solomon like wouldn't you have seen a photograph of this man if he's that important i think so i think robert langdon is just being real racist yep i agree (laughs) yeah there's no other explanation He's and, like, wait, you? But you are very elegant, I suppose. Very alive. <laughs> um, and in the very end of this chapter here, we get a little tidbit that's going to keep us going for a little bit here. So Moloch is stepping out of the corridor, and as I assume we all do, when there's a number we need to remember, we don't have time to write it down, you're just like repeating it in your head like 0408, Don't forget it when I walk to the thing here. But he also has something else in his mind, which is he'd received an urgent message from the Capitol building and thought, my contact has run into unforeseen difficulties. Um, and I think t- 
10 chapters is all we're gonna get through today because we've been recording for a little over two hours here and that was kind of our aim time limit and 10 chapters seems like a round number and i think you know i mean i think it took a little bit longer because we have chris here with us today which is a pleasure and it was yeah Thank you for so, having me. Thank well, we're not me. done yet, because yeah. I gotta ask you guys, you got an angel for this section? This was the only part I didn't prep for. It's okay, we never do either. We never do either, we just get here and we're like, hmm, <laughs> everyone's angel, like, I have, I, I have one. What you got? My angel has to be Moloch, because we have seen him in his, like, m- large Moloch energy mode the entire novel, which is... I can relate, but in this chapter, we see him like frantically trying to remember 0804, <laughs> and his entire fucking plan hinges on him not fucking forgetting those four numbers in the two-minute walk from one pod to another. So but I I put it to you. We also saw him um, just not giving a fuck about the noble creature that is the Architeuthus. That's and true. I can't lying about that. lying about sea creatures is bad, and also murder um, I, is also bad. She told him that her birthday was August fourth. Couldn't he have just remembered that instead of having to say zero eight zero four over and no, over? No, because again? he doesn't know how many digits it is. So maybe it's eight oh four. Well, also here, here's here, here's my solution for him. So we learn uh, that she's scratched his face and reveals like four lines of 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 black that at first Trish thinks are blood but it's actually it's his tattoos underneath it so like his makeup is so thick that scratching will reveal the darkness underneath so like he must have tattoos on his arms too because the only untattooed part of his body is the top of his head so just like on your arm here zero eight zero four scratch it in but then what if what if kathleen is out what's her name Catherine. Catherine. what but, if but, Catherine's like, here, out there and she sees his torn up He's already Notebook mentioned this. Face is all fucked up, but by the time Catherine realizes, it'll be too late. Mm. He's already thought about this. My angel is um, is 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 Anderson because uh, he's just lovably dumb in this one, and he's like, I don't want to shoot the door, <laughs> and I think that's I think that's funny. I think he's a funny guy. Um, this is gonna be controversial, but I think my Uh-oh. angel is Robert Langdon in this section. What? Because, no, because this is unprecedented. He's right. He should. They should not be com- like uh, complying with the demands of terrorists. Like, what are you doing? Aside Has from Robert like, Langdon ever been the angel? No, no this is unprecedented. This is the first time he's been reasonable from for this whole section. I think. Yeah, there's there's no. I mean, he's been he's a jack not openly, off as always. Yeah, well, yes, but he's not openly misogynistic. He didn't give us a lecture about his students. Um, he was, like, relatively pedantic in the way he explained uh, Talisman, but, like, pretty softcore for him. Like Also, at one point with the with the, with the the symbol alphabet, Sato was like, what are these icons? And he's like, these aren't icons. They're symbols. They're symbols. Sure. And, like, they're not symbols either, bitch. They're letters. <laughs> Also, I thought the the private property bit was like kind of cute. Like, what are you doing? You're so that was kind of, that was kind of you're fun. so out of your depth. All right, who's your uh, demon? Who's your who's your demon? My demon was um, Malach because show some respect to that fucking squid. Yeah, same. The money brother really really disappointed me. I mean, Trish deserved better. Like, <laughs> she's a That's sweet like person, Trish. and. Yeah. 
she deserved better. I don't know. Yeah, now she'll never get to consummate her relationship with Catherine. She'll never get to know where that document lives. Oh, yeah. Tragic. How about you, Chris? Um, okay. I mean, if we're being honest, Malak is definitely the demon because of murder, but... Incorrect. <laughs> it's going to get muddy I'm gonna later, pick... though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the impact because I may never come back on this podcast because you may have to cycle through other guests or just decide this is a failed experiment. So I picked Trish because the horrible InfoSec. Yeah. She's the only employee and she has like a very simple protocol. Like her job is very complicated, but no one is supposed to know and you're definitely not supposed to be fucking around on the job. Like, hey, do you want to see the squid? No. It doesn't matter if you want to see the Everyone wants to see the squid, yeah. Trish. If you want, of I can course. give you the number of the person who can let you into the squid. But right, you, you can... can come back during business hours to see the squid. But also, who makes your pin your birthday? That should have been day one of Trish. <laughs> this is a woman who uses other people's search engines for nefarious purposes and steals government documents. Like, her pin is 0804. That part is fishy. Yeah. Drown me. I'm using the same logic to say Catherine is actually the demon because she put these practices in place. You said Trish was the demon. I know. I'm changing my mind, though. Okay. That's time on a tradition on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You've convinced me that Catherine as the boss should take responsibility. Uh, Yeah. Respondiat superior. That's what that's called. Precisely. I'm glad you finally brought me the Latin legal term for something instead of instead of getting mad at me for trying to make you look it up. Um, what's what's your grade for the section on Dan Brownness? I'm sorry, Christopher, because he knows the least about Dan Brown. I have listened to, to be clear, the entire podcast. Yeah, we've read them all. <laughs> universe multiple times. Uh, I never finished episodes. Origin. <laughs> we wrote uh, almost all of them. I feel like this is very Dan Brown. I don't think this is maximum Dan Brown. If we continued a little bit, it would get very much it's more true. Dan Brown. I feel like this is like B plus Dan Brown. We got Oof. women not knowing things and then having to explain them to them. <laughs> We've got uh, total nonsense, one page chapters, quarter page chapters. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's a lot here that leads you if you if you know what you're looking for. It's 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 a lot of what Dan Brown will give you. I was going to say, I'm going to go C+, because, mm-hmm. I mean, last time, again, Christopher's not heard this, but last time we both were pretty low because, like, um, there were no real action beats. And this time we did get, like, belly tackling people as an action beat. Murder. But, like, uh, yeah, but, I mean, again, I might have cut this part out, but last time I mentioned there was going to be a gruesome murder and it was still fucking boring as hell. And that's how I feel about this one. Is there was a gruesome murder and like it involved a giant squid? It should be my sweet spot, but I just found myself being like, eh, whatever. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a B, and I'll say why. It's maybe it's because I've been so numbed by the previous sections in which nothing happened, but I found it really, really refreshing to have one symbol. And is <laughs> <laughs> this the pyramid? We had like, like no. I'm just saying, like it's there are finally symbols in this book like like we have the unfinished pyramid followed by the actual pyramid and we had the alien keypad and we had it's all happening you know and he's gonna have to decipher something um we have 
nefarious motives. We ha- were hinted at uh, it's hinted at that there's a, a contact in the Capitol. Um, there's a murder. There's someone like running into the room and and kidnapping Robert Langdon. Another running through a tunnel. Like it's hap- like things are moving finally. I think next next section I'll give it an A minus. Um, oh, I mean you say that, but like I don't know. So somehow this book. What's missing for you? Any sense of any sense of momentum. There's no urgency, even though they say like, "Oh, it's nine p.m. and we." You- and you only have three hours to do this. But there's no sense of urgency in this book. It's ridiculous. I don't know how he that's fails the, that's, here. That's the thing. Like, even, even when there's action happening, I, I never feel any tension whatsoever. It just, like, I just, like, turn pages and I'm like, uh, I guess, yeah, now there's a tackling thing happening. But, like, I find myself, like, not even noticing that. I haven't just get back, like, like, wait, how did he get in this tunnel? It's like, oh, the guy, like, tackled Sato and, like, knocked her out with a fucking leg bone? When did that happen? I don't remember that happening at all. Um, that's true. You could really skip these 10 chapters with the briefest of sort of explanations. Yeah. Like Dan Brown finds a Masonic pyramid. He discovers that the package he's been holding for his friend completes it. And yeah, but consider this, you'd also spend two and a half hours talking about it. <laughs> well, we talked about a lot of other things. <laughs> we had some tangents. I do want to say, I do want to say, that, um, as we know, one of Dan Brown's secrets to writing a thriller is the clock. And in the past, we've had the clock introduced to us fairly early on. Like, they're like, the bomb has 12 hours on it, you know? Um, but we still, like, we don't really know what the, like, we don't know what's going to happen or when. Like, we know some, something bad will happen and Dr. Abaddon or Malach is at the bottom of it and we know that like by the end of the night but like when is the end of the night is it 4 a.m is it midnight what's gonna happen is it like earth shattering or is it just like a little inconvenient for like a couple of enthusiasts like i have no sense of scale or of gravity yeah that's That's true there's 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 very little idea of the actual stakes, the stakes in this are book. just so vague yeah i'm glad we yeah. said the word stakes at the exact same moment <laughs> you definitely wouldn't know how far you are into this book like if you said we just finished chapter 42 you would not have a sense of whether there are 80 so, chapters or 150 it could definitely be either. well that's that's a that's a function of him having chapters that range between one like pain one painless page or like eight terrible pages of lecture like which feels Man, 20 pages long pages. and like to be clear we are almost 200 pages into this book <laughs> and this, this this the stakes are completely unclear the goal is starting to become like a little bit less opaque but like it's not stated anywhere we have no idea what like we're two hundred pages yeah. and we have no idea what the actual like goal of this adventure is, which is unacceptable. So the last question is what what's your grade for like in general enjoyability of reading uh specifically these ten chapters? I know we made you read twenty and uh God may never forgive me for making you do that, but Enjoyment was really not great. It was really lackluster. Give it a D plus. Um I, like I, I had no sense of excitement. Um, these are supposed to be page turners. I kept looking for excuses to put the book down. 
I'm 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 going D minus. Only reason it's not an F is um I gotta think about giant squids. I think this is an F for me because I have not had to read the extended universe. Like the real heads know it gets worse, but <laughs> this, this is not gonna a lot worse. I mean um, This is pretty awful. I mean, awful. You, 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 you you read the section leading up to this, which um, I read the entire thing leading up to this. So yeah. I started from the beginning. So you really you had a slog to get here today. Honestly, sort of, but also if you're not reading to take notes, you can pretty much read this book in like about 15 minutes. It's, <laughs> that is true. It is not packed with, there's no density. It's mostly white space. Like, <laughs> it's what I like to call empty calories. Um, I remember Digital Fortress was a lot worse for me to read. <sighs> Um, so I, maybe maybe it's like a skewed scale. Like I've forgotten Digital Fortress. I don't know what I rated that one. I think like in retrospect, F's across the board. Like it was all unenjoyable. Yeah, I mean, Dig- Digital Fortress for me was a real case of whiplash because that one, when I read it in middle school, because like you know, I I'd read, I think sixth seventh grade, I read Da Vinci Code. And then within like six months, I read everything else Dan Brown had written to that point, which was Digital Fortress and Deception Point and Angels and Demons. And when I was in seventh grade, I was like, these are smart and good. I like these. And Lost Symbol came out and I was like towards the end of high school. Might have even already graduated. And it was the first one where I was like, I think I enjoyed this, but it definitely wasn't as good. Maybe Dan Brown's losing his edge. Um, and you know, as 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 I grew and matured as a human being, I became I came to realize like they'd all been garbage. But like this was the first this was the first one that I remembered having my first read of it be like, oh, this was less good than previous entries. I I mean the stakes of the Da Vinci Code. There's no way they could be like this book could have as good of a payoff as the Da Vinci Code. At least there, it's like the perfect God. dumb guy ending. It's like, but what if Jesus? <laughs> this cannot possibly have that ending. So it's going to be worse. That's the problem. That's all. Is I'm that they, he keeps like this happens in Origin too, where it's like they're going to release like life-changing knowledge and i'm like what's knowledge gonna do for anyone like get out of here knowledge (laughs) make it a bomb or a whatever it is an inferno a virus or whatever so talking about origin reminds me um you brought this on yourself you brought this on yourself i mentioned this book i didn't bring it on myself (laughs) one of those um john levy videos i was watching today no you're gonna have to cut that entire thing so um follow us on uh twitter and facebook <laughs> our, you our can Twitter's find us on twitter at... yeah go ahead sorry <laughs> oh i mean you should take it over because I don't, I don't know the handles oh, okay so you can follow us on twitter at dan brown code pod and you can also find us on facebook uh i'm on twitter at wishbone ulysses chris I'm on Twitter at Chris is pooping no G. It's true. We talk. I think we meant we plug your Twitter account like roughly ten times per episode. <laughs> Gang, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever application you use to find our podcast. When you rate and review us, it helps people find the podcast. It makes us feel good inside. It's honestly everything we could possibly want in life. Yeah, it's really sweet. So, thank you for listening and have a good one. Bye. Peace. Bye.